Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock up your rate for 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, October 11th, and we're discussing electric vehicles. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Specialist, John Rosevier via Skype. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, first off the bat, John, you know, I'm a big Twitter user, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, you've got that blue check mark going on. Uh, how do I get one of those? <laughs> Uh, you ask nicely and you wait quite a while is the answer. I'll, I'll, I'll clue you in later on. It's, it's, um, there is a way to request one. Uh, you're working in media. You might be able to get one. I don't know. Um, I got to the point where I had enough followers that I said, Hey folks, can I, can I have one? And like six months later, at first they said no. And then like six months later, they wrote back and said, actually, yes. If you like change this one little thing on your profile. <laughs> so I did. And like a week later I had it. So, you know, I, I thank you, Twitter. I'm grateful for that. Um, but I, I, I think it's a crapshoot to some extent. <laughs> well, hey, well, maybe, one, maybe one of these days I'll join that uh, blue check mark mafia with you, John. What do you think? All right. More than merrier. Yeah. So uh, for this episode, John, you know, we're talking about electric vehicles and everybody thinks about electric vehicles. The first we think about is Tesla. And, you know, from my perspective, we've heard enough about Tesla. You know, last week we had the full con. <laughs> You know, writers' conference, and you know, uh, Molly Full founder David Gardner even said that. I mean, there's plenty of other stocks out in the market, and there's plenty of other electric vehicle businesses out here that we can talk about. And so that's going to be the goal of this episode: is to really, you know, what's going on in electric vehicles, not named Tesla. And uh, first off the bat, let's go ahead and talk about General Motors. I mean, they're one of the largest automakers in the world, and they have a they have a big presence in GM, probably. I mean, in electric vehicles, and probably the most uh, recent. Story coming out about GM was that they partnered with Honda. Honda is investing two point seven five billion dollars into Cruise. That's, I believe, seven hundred fifty million to now, and then the two billion over the next twelve years. Is that correct, John? Uh, what it is is it. Well, first of all, let's back up. Cruise is GM, a GM subsidiary uh, that is developing a self-driving taxi service, and that relates to electric vehicles because they're using electric vehicles. Uh, their self-driving taxi, their their first one is. is uh, a heavily adapted Chevy Bolt, um, and the idea is it'll be built uh, when it goes into production on, on the Bolt's production line. Uh, what Honda said, uh, Honda was actually the second outside uh, entity to invest in Cruise. The first was uh, SoftBank's um, venture capital fund, uh, but Honda Honda is making a seven hundred and fifty million dollar equity investment, like right now or last week or whenever it was, and then over the next twelve years, they will contribute two billion dollars toward the development of a a from the ground up vehicle designed to be self-driving. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a self-driving architecture that they could turn into a taxi, a delivery van, uh, things we haven't thought of yet, that kind of thing. Uh, but the idea is that there's just they're not even going to hand wave toward provisions for a human driver. It's going to be completely self-driving. No, no, no need for controls or anything like that. And that changes everything from sort of the safety calculations. If you can seat people anywhere in the vehicle, well, where do you want to seat them for optimum safety? Uh, all the way to, does it need a windshield? 
you know, can we put a movie screen there instead? It, it, you know, I mean, it, it opens up a whole different uh, range of design considerations. And so that, you know, Honda's really good at some of that stuff. GM is really good at some of that stuff. Uh, they have proven on other projects that they can work together well, and this could be a really interesting product. You're right, John. I mean, this is kind of continuing a partnership that's been going on between Honda and GM in this space for a while. So, I mean, they worked together on uh, fuel cells for several years. And then back in June, Honda and, deal, Honda and GM signed a deal where Honda is going to buy some GM battery packs for use in its own electric vehicles. So, you know, in, in a way, Honda is kind of looking to GM as the EV uh, kind of thought leader, and they're kind of cooperating with GM to kind of move their, their uh, aspirations along. Would that be an accurate representation of what's going on here? It is. GM gets something out of this too, though. I, what uh, GM wants to play in Japan, GM, uh, the number of vehicles GM sells in Japan every year rounds to zero. Uh, you know, Honda's quite big. Uh, Toyota is the biggest, uh, but, but Honda is obviously quite big in its home market and has a substantial presence. I, Honda is making its own moves towards various, uh, I, I mean, Toyota rather is making its own moves towards uh, various self-driving uh, delivery taxi kinds of initiatives in Japan, again, partnered with SoftBank. Um, Honda would like to counter that. GM would like to have a presence there uh, because it's a huge market and it's an advanced high-tech market. It's one of the places where we may see self-driving vehicles take off fairly soon relative to other parts of the world. You know, if you've been to Tokyo, you know why. Uh, they, you know, they love technology and love gadgets. Just And 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 there's lots of stuff there. And, and it, it, they're likely to catch on quickly as soon as the technology is ready. Uh, GM wants to play there. Uh, Honda is a partner with whom they can play there. It already has a big established presence. So that's sort of GM's side of it. Certainly, yes, Honda gets uh, access to technology. They were somewhat late in getting moving on things like self-driving and electric vehicles, which surprised a lot of people. They had a CEO change a couple of years ago, and the CEO... Uh, their their current CEO tried to pick up things and get things really rolling, and and partnerships have proven to be a cost effective way to do that. So yeah, I'd look to them doing more and more with GM. The electric vehicle side of it is GM is working toward an all new uh, next generation platform uh, architecture for electric vehicles that will sort of succeed what they've done with the Bolt. Uh, Honda is going to buy the battery packs from there. They'll design their own vehicles around it, but the the battery packs will they'll be designed around GM's battery packs. That's what's going on there. Yeah, and John, let's go ahead and swing into talking about what GM's EV presence is today. What does the Bolt look like today? So, I mean, this is a car that has MSRP around $36,000. That's real close to the Model 3 mythical $35,000 production model vehicle. But this is a car that's already on the road. Uh, It has a 238-mile range. And apparently, it's doing well for GM because uh, CEO Mary Barra has announced that they're, they're on track to increase Bolt production 20% in the fourth quarter. And that demand is not necessarily coming from the United States. So, you know, uh, a GM has uh, seen global sales of the of their battery uh, EVs go up more than 35% in the second quarter and more than 40% in the first six months of 2018. However, uh, in the second quarter of 2018, Bolt sales in the U.S. were down 22% and only up 3.5% for the first half of the year. So, that demand is coming from overseas, but that's something that GM is really pushing towards. It, it, to some extent, it's that the supply is going overseas. Uh, GM scaled to build, um, officially it's a secret, but informally it's around 2,500, 3,000 bolts a month at their factory. They thought, oh, we could probably sell 30,000 a year of these at first when they were scaling the program a couple of years ago. And now, you know, they're exporting some of those. Uh, they're selling uh, 
as I understand it, fairly well in Korea. Uh, they're sending some to Europe. GM has sold the Opel its Opel subsidiary to Peugeot, but it's still supplying some vehicles to be badged as Opals, and the Bolt is one of them. It's known as the Opel Impera E in Europe, and they're, they're selling some there, and there are a few going to other places as well, other markets as well. Uh, what they want to do is ratchet up production so that they continue to, they can continue to supply more bolts here because uh, it may be a supply issue in the United States. I am not clear. They don't seem to be spending a ton of time on dealer lots, um, but certainly they think they can, they they know they can sell more. They are investing in added production. Uh, one thing we should talk about with the bolt just it's it. it, it Comparing it to, as a Model 3 rival is kind of deceptive. I mean, the, the Model 3 is, is kind of um, an electric riff on the idea of a BMW 3 Series. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear what they benchmarked. The Bolt is not. The Bolt um, was clearly thought out as kind of an urban taxi. I think when GM originally designed the program, they were thinking, oh, you know, we'll sell these to Lyft. Uh, and, and it's really optimized for that. It's got a super tight turning circle. It's got cameras all around it that make it really easy to park in a little tiny parking space in a city and, and to navigate, you know, tight streets and things like that. Uh, and, and when you sit in it, you realize the fabric, the seats are covered with this really sort of sturdy, durable fabric that you might expect to find in a taxi or something like that. They're not luxurious. Uh, that has actually been a little bit of a knock on the bolt that people who might be you know, on the waiting list for a Model 3 have gone to check out the Bolt and said, well, you know, it's nice. It's a well-done electric car. It's just it's just not that nice inside. Um, I, I have wondered all along if GM would do an upgraded interior for an extra $2,000 for it or something, but they may figure the Bolt that they're, you know, selling all they can make right now. They're just going to move ahead to the next, to 2020 or so when they start to launch their next generation vehicles. Right, and I guess the end game for the Bolt with the way they're developing their cruise is that it's going to be that uh, flagship vehicle for the cruise autonomous driving service if and when that comes to the market. Is that that current kind of the the view there for GM? Sure. Uh, when they first rolled out the Bolt, I spent some time talking to a couple of the people who who had worked on the development of it, and they said, "Look, the Bolt is a platform. Uh, it's something we can. It, it's built." so that we can tinker with a lot of different technologies on it. We can tinker with, um, you know, remotely IDing uh, drivers for use in a, like a car sharing situation, you know, where uh, GM has a subsidiary called Maven that, that does car sharing. You know, if you want to rent a car for an hour or whatever, you can do that. Uh, the Bolt pioneered some of GM's take on that kind of technology where, you know, you get the confirmation in your phone and you walk up and the phone unlocks the car and, and off you go. Um, in addition to that, obviously they were thinking about self-driving and, and as soon as they acquired Cruise uh, in early 2016, I believe, uh, they they sent bolts out there uh, even before they were officially in production. They sent pre-production bolts out there and there were prototype sort of cobbled together self-driving bolts uh, visible in San Francisco like six months before the bolt officially went into production. I mean, they had a bunch of them out there early on. Uh, that was the whole idea, that the bolt uh, was proof of concept. It, it, uh, it was designed so that if no, if no retail customers would buy them, they could put them in a taxi service, and it was well adapted for that. Uh, it was not ever designed to compete directly with a Tesla. Um, although it, you know, its specs are quite good. It's got good range. It's got nice acceleration. They're fun to drive. Uh, it's for a zippy little runabout designed as a taxi. They're actually quite fun to drive. They're, 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 they're nice. Um, but it, you know, it, it's not, it's not an electric BMW, uh, 
inspired kind of vehicle the way that the Tesla is. Uh, on the other hand, that may, it, it's more utilitarian. On the other hand, they're, they're putting it to lots of interesting uses as they tinker, and those will inform the range of GM electric vehicle products that come out on this next generation platform in a couple of years. Right. And, and that's going away for our listeners on GM is that I, I think we really need to view GM as an EV company. I mean, Mary Barra, their CEO, has come out and said that GM is on track to sell a million EVs per year profitably uh, by 2026. They expect to have 23 all-electric models launched by 2023. They're already launching some of those models in China. The Buick uh, V-Lite is one of those. They're really investing heavily in their battery development. They just uh, got LG Electronics to set up a battery plant in Detroit. So GM is really putting a lot of chips on the table with respect to EVs. So when people think about you know these old U.S. car makers, these guys—it's not that these guys are behind the times. They—they are right there on, on point when it comes to EVs, just like everybody else. Mary Barra and her team are not messing around, and that's true on a lot of fronts. And I think investors, American investors who think of bad old GM, where you know they didn't even know how much money they were making, they talked about market share over profits and all this other stuff. Uh, that company is gone. This company, this company is a machine, and I do think it's underappreciated by investors, uh, and it pays a good dividend too. Yeah, when you get when you get the optionality of getting a four plus percent dividend and the opportunity to own Cruise, which has the potential to be one of the largest you know autonomous ride sharing services going into the future, I mean, that's not a bad risk reward trade off. A guaranteed four percent dividend with the optionality for who knows how big who how big uh, Cruise could be over the long term. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Waymo a lot for self driving taxis. Who is Waymo's number one competitor in the U.S.? There's it's a no brainer. It's Cruise. Yeah, uh, you know they're close. They're fairly close behind with the technology, and the advantage GM has is the whole thing is integrated. I mean, you know, they have an assembly line ready to go. They don't have to get with partners and and sort out that kind of stuff. You know, as soon as it's ready, you know, they're rolling down the assembly line in a, in Orion, Michigan, Orion Township, Michigan, where the, the the bolt factory is, and out to the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we spent the first part of the show kind of talking about these U.S. manufacturers, particularly GM. We probably gave them a decent amount of attention. Let's pivot over to Europe, and that's one of the places where I think demand is going to come on board the quickest. And that's in part because of these EU emission standards that are coming. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen uh, the European Council and the European Parliament both come forward with emission standards. They've they've disagreed um, about the extent of what these should be, but uh, we're looking at 15 to 20 percent cuts in CO2. Uh, by 2025, 35% by 2030, um, or 40%, depending on on which uh, body you're looking at. They still need to negotiate the final numbers on these. But I think the important number that I really want to call out is both of them agree on a quota of 35% of vehicles by 2030 being zero and low emission vehicles. And so what that means is electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, these sorts of these sorts of things. It's why we've seen a real push out um, in Europe of some luxury electric vehicles coming to market. And these are particularly um, things that folks are excited about. I mean, we've got the Jaguar I-Pace SUV. Uh, we've got the Audi e-tron electric SUV. The Mercedes-Benz EQ is looking to come to market maybe sometime in 2019. Can you talk about these trends we're seeing out of Europe and how these things are positioned? I mean, we're seeing a lot of SUVs. There's a lot of demand there. You want to talk about that as well? Well, let's back up. First of all, um, yeah, I, I, there is there is a, a growing assumption, a growing certainty that in a few years, you're going to need a lot of electric vehicles in Europe. Uh, Volkswagen, who has the largest market share in Europe, 
uh, is investing billions and billions of dollars to build a whole supply chain to be able to build a couple million of these things a year, starting in just a few years. Uh, right now, what we're seeing is is the beginnings of that. And again, these are these are high profit, relatively small volume products that allow them to build out the supply chain to get to proof of concept and so forth. Uh, the iPACE was kind of a surprise when that hit. Uh, you know, who thought Jaguar would come out in the, with the first credible vehicle to rival Tesla? And they did. Uh, it, it's quite good. Um, you know, there are pluses and minuses in comparing it to Tesla's products, but but certainly it, it can stand on their own. And production is still ramping up. Uh, but it's doing quite well in Europe, I understand. There's a substantial backlog of orders. Uh, it's coming to the U.S. sometime soon, in the next few months. I forget exactly when, but soon. Um, I think you can already pre-order one from a Jaguar dealer. If you're interested, check with your Jaguar dealer. Uh, $69.9, I think, is the price. Uh, so, you know, around $70,000. It's, 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 it's a little cheaper than the Model S 75D, Model X, excuse me, the, the Tesla SUV, the Model X 75D. Uh, it's a little smaller, too, inside, though. Um, highly praised for its handling, for its interior fit and finish, things like that. It's nice, a nice vehicle to drive. Yeah, and uh, another thing we want to call out here too is uh, on the Jaguar I-Pace. We talked about you know the, the Model Three. I mean uh, the 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 Bolt. Excuse me, Chevy's Bolt, and how, what role it's going to play in cruise. Uh, Waymo has, has ordered twenty thousand Jaguar I-Pace vehicles to be part of its Waymo ride sharing service when it comes to market. So that is another source of demand for them, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's just kind of an interesting thing that's going on with the I-Pace. So something to watch out for, particularly the, these manufacturers coming out of Europe. Um, on the Just wanted to finish the thought of something you asked about, the whole SUV things. That's what's selling right now. I mean, the whole world wants it. Uh, crossover SUVs. Uh, this is a trend we've seen in the U.S. for several years now. You know, the decline of sedans. What happened is that versus the truck-based SUVs we saw 15 years ago that were common, these, these are based on uh, car architectures. They handle more like cars. They're more comfortable. They get better fuel economy. Uh, it's what people want. It's it, It's... You know, it's a roomy station wagon kind of thing that maybe looks cooler than what we think of as a station wagon or a minivan, uh, and and with some all-wheel drive, uh, all-weather capability, and and it's what people want. They're trading in people who still have sedans, or a lot of them are trading them in on on these things. So when you're talking about coming to market with an electric vehicle, you want to hit. Uh, with your first or second one, you want to hit the place where the demand is going to be high. That's why these are all SUVs. Uh, you know, China's hot for them, Euro European are hot for them, and, and U.S. is hot for them. Um, and and so, you know, you want to you want to appeal to the broadest range of buyers with your first vehicle. That that's you know, you're going to come out with a five or seven passenger SUV. Right. And on the second half of the show, we're going to talk about an interesting IPO coming out of Neo that is also addressing that electric SUV mm -hmm. market. But first. Uh, support for industry focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's causing a lot of anxiety with folks. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours and give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock up your rate for 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. 
Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Okay, John. Well, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about this uh, Neo IPO. It IPO'd a little over a, a couple months ago, and we got a question about this uh, from one of our followers on Twitter. Alex messaged us at MF Industry Focus and asked, "With the recent IPO of, of Neo, what are your thoughts on Tesla's operations in China? Also, what are your thoughts on the company as a whole?" Well, we talked about we're we're going to stay a little bit away from Tesla today, but let's <laughs> talk a little bit about talk a little bit about Neo. So it. It IPO'd recently. It's got a market cap of about six billion. I don't know with with the recent uh, market volatility, it may have moved since then. But it's about four years old. It's one of over three hundred startup EV companies in China, founded by Chinese entrepreneur William Lee. Um, it's got it's backed by Tencent, Baidu, Sequoia Capital, Hillhouse Capital Group. You know, when you looked at this IPO from Neo, John, what are you seeing from this company? What what jumps out to you? What's interesting? Uh, first and foremost, they are building and shipping a car. which is something you know they are building and shipping a premium electric vehicle uh which is something you know for all the promise of a company like lucid motors they're they're a couple years away from shipping a car you know and faraday future has made a lot of noise some of these other companies neo is shipping uh and what they're shipping is uh what they call the es8 it's it's a battery electric seven seat suv uh it's being built for them um by a chinese automaker in shanghai uh it's uh, you know it starts around sixty five thousand dollars uh, it has range of of just over 200 miles, which doesn't sound like a whole lot to us when we're we're used to hearing about Teslas and so forth, and and thinking of 300 miles as a minimum, but it might be enough to get them going. Uh, it's got some interesting technology in it, uh, advanced driver assist stuff that they expect to evolve into self-driving over time, as well as a voice-activated intelligent assistant, uh, which is kind of a novelty. Neo is ex- uh, is emphasizing uh, customer. Service service, uh, as well as usability. They, they have a sophisticated phone app that comes with this that can control a bunch of features in the vehicle. Uh, they are only selling in China. Uh, they began production at the very end of June. Uh, they delivered through August. They had delivered something like 1,600 and had another 15,000, 16,000 reservations that they were looking to fill over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, they, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, there appears to be some demand for it. Uh, in comparison with Tesla, what's interesting is that the recent trade war and the tariffs tit for tat that we've seen go on, uh, it's it's putting some pressure on Tesla in China because all Teslas are imported from the U.S. to China right now. Tesla's talked for years about building a factory in Shanghai. They're actually taking some steps toward it now, maybe, but that's unlikely to be up and running before 2020 at the very earliest. Uh, it just takes time to 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 prepare the ground to build the building, to build, to create the tooling, to get the tooling in place and up and running and so forth. Uh, that, that would seem to give, you know, Neo an opportunity to get really rolling here where, you know, Tesla's are still very high priced. The price may come down in a couple of years, but we're not there yet because the factory is going to take a while to build. Uh, they, they have an interesting opportunity and we'll see how well they can capitalize on it, but I think they're well positioned. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the pricing, you know, with with imports and all those sorts of things. I mean, the MSRP on on a on an ES8, which is which is Neo's flagship vehicle right now, is about sixty five thousand dollars. Compare that to the Model X, which is probably its closest analog uh, from Tesla, retails you know one hundred forty thousand dollars plus. 
um, in China, at least from the data that I've been able to find. So, mm-hmm. yep. so yep. You, you know, you, you're, you've got a vehicle that has a lot of similar attributes to what the Model X can have at less than half the price, which is which is a big opportunity there for them. I, I will say, if you look at their financials, uh, it, it posted a net loss of $502 million in the first half of 2018 on just $7 million in revenue. It lost $759 million in 2017. So this is not a profitable company right now. Uh, let's hang on with that, though. Just $7 million in revenue because their car started shipping the last week of June. Right. <laughs> okay, that, that revenue is going to look very different for the third quarter because they've been steadily, presumably steadily shipping vehicles, and, and it should... Ramp up significantly as their production ramps up. We'll see. Uh, I don't know where their break-even point is, but um, you know they're going to be closer to it now than they were in June. <laughs> right, and we've we've talked about it, its opportunity as well. Uh, let's pull the thread a little bit on you know having a third-party manufacture its vehicles. What what are the kind of benefits to Neo of, of that relationship, and what are the what are the downsides of having a third-party manufacture the car and those sorts of things? Well, we should start by saying that the Jaguar I-Pace is built by a third party, uh, an established uh, niche product builder. Uh, it, it's a it's a division of the giant auto supplier Magna. Magnastir uh, has built vehicles for several European automakers, including uh, Porsche and and Mercedes and some others. So they they can do very high quality work, but they're building the I-Pace uh, because Jaguar didn't have the capacity in England uh, where it where it really only has one factory. Jaguar Land Rover have a couple of big factories between them in England. Um, so it can work out very well. Uh, what what Neo is doing is basically they, they, they've hired uh, a rival that had extra capacity uh, to build their vehicles for them. And apparently that they can do about 100,000 a year, I think. I'm checking that right now. Yeah, around 100,000 a year. Uh, if Neo ramps up that far, Neo is building its own factory, uh, or is working with somebody to build a factory that it will lease in any event, uh, in or near Shanghai. But that's not till 2020. Uh, but they, in the meantime, they, you know, they have cars ready to build. They they would like to build and sell them and and get to the point where they're self-funding. So I, I think for them, it was it was a good solution to you know we don't have a ton of money to build a factory right now. We'd like to get rolling. Hey, we've got a car design. Can you help us get it into production and do this deal? I mean, they have to give up some profit, uh, some margin to do this, uh, but at the same time, it, it you know it's getting them some income. It's getting them uh, considerable revenue uh, that they that they can then put to work, you know, to to build their own factory, to work on future models and so forth. They do have a second smaller uh, crossover SUV coming, a, a five passenger vehicle. Uh, early next year, I think. I think their plan is to show it in December and then roll it into production next spring. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing too, John. And, and again, you talk about that $100,000 number, I mean, $100,000 uh, a vehicle number. And, you know, th- this week we just had the first analyst estimates, you know, come out following uh, uh, NIO's IPO. And Deutsche Bank is expecting them to have 100,000 units of sales by 2021. Again, these are estimates. You can never project that. But it took seven years for Tesla to reach that demand. So, I mean, if NIO can reach that, you know, this quickly, it'd be, it'd be pretty impressive. Um, they're also expecting yeah, profitability. To be fair, Tesla didn't have somebody available to hire uh, easily who could build that kind of volume. <laughs> that, <laughs> true, know? true. Um, yeah, they bootstrapped their factory, basically. So Yeah. Well, John, you know, we, we've talked about NIA, we've talked about these European car manufacturers, we've talked about GM. You know, of the companies we've talked about today, you know, which one do you think has the best prospects going forward to the next five to 10 years and why? Which one w- would you invest in today if you had to choose one? 
Well, I should start by saying I own GM. Um, I, I I like it. I have no plans to sell. I, I think the management team is that is in place now is first rate and mostly doing very good things and doing them aggressively. You know, there there a lot of companies talk talk and talk and talk about self driving. GM went out and bought Cruise and built a business. <laughs> you know, and that that business that business and they haven't they haven't uh, put a single vehicle in service yet in commercial service, and that business is already valued at, at you know 14 15 billion so they're doing all right i think cruise has the potential to grow into something very valuable uh and gm is retaining a roughly 75% stake in it uh, that that stake could be very valuable there's also the possibility uh for gm investors that cruise will be spun off or that a tracking stock will be issued or something like that they are looking at ways to do that and if so then we could see the valuation of cruise go up quite a lot as, as people say oh a public pure play self-driving company let's let's buy this <laughs> i think, I think, it be, I think it would be great interest uh to investors uh neo is an interesting play i you know i personally am not ready yet to to invest in neo but i'm watching them it, it you know this has some potential here i've thought for a while that of the electric vehicle startups that have come up in the wake of tesla the one to really watch is lucid uh, they're more focused in the United States, but Neo again, it, they have a vehicle in production. They're selling it in China. I mean, so they're developing that whole process of dealers and logistics and so forth right now, and learning from it, and presumably iterating fairly quickly and and bringing those lessons into its organization. So they're you know they're they're doing it right now, and now seems to be the time to be doing something like this, that that's maybe an upscale vehicle that isn't going to sell millions in a year. Uh, so that you can learn the lessons and bring that to vehicles that might sell more down the road. You know, that's what Tesla has has tried to do. Yeah. So, so for investors, you know, on Neo, I think it's something that you know they just started producing a car, so it's something to wait and see. If you want to start a small position now and kind of start tracking the company, I think that's probably the best course of action. But there's definitely some potential to the upside over the long term. Yeah, it's a very different investment from GM. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to ease into it a little bit and sort of see where it goes, I, I think that's reasonable. I, w- I would not, I would not make it twenty percent of your portfolio right now. Whereas something like GM, I mean, you know, GM share price will probably drop somewhat if and when a recession hits. Uh, they are probably well situated to maintain the dividend through a downturn unless things get really dire and protracted and they run through their cash reserve. Uh, But their plan is to maintain the dividend. And and with GM, you can start to think in terms of, uh, okay, I will reinvest the dividend. I will accumulate shares. I won't think about this too hard for a few years. And then coming out of the next recession, auto stocks historically have tended to pop early in a recovery and then start to think about, whoa, you know, suddenly GM's sitting at 45, 50 bucks a share, and I have a whole lot of it, you know, as it may be in five years or seven years, we don't know. Uh, but but that is certainly uh, an outcome that seems quite possible to me. And and you could be looking at a tidy profit from here, especially since GM's been beat up somewhat because their third quarter sales numbers weren't so good. Right. And so something to keep an eye on going mm-hmm. forward, John. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll have to talk about this more. I mean, this EV trend is only going to evolve more going forward. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.
John, we made it a whole show without talking about Tesla. Like, how yes, we did. is that possible? <laughs> you know, they just had the settlement come down, and uh, uh, or the the they just sent a letter to the SEC. The SEC and Tesla jointly sent a letter to approve the the uh, settlement of the latest SEC complaint with Musk. Um, you know, going forward, where do you think this company is going? I mean, what what's the next problem on the plate for them? <laughs> Depends on whether they run out of cash. I mean, look, it looks like in the third quarter that they made a lot of steps. Uh, they did a lot and a lot to be able to show a good couch balance at the end of the third quarter, which tells me they're very worried about cash. I mean, there were vehicles where they, uh, you know, accepted payment in September and delivered them in October, this kind of thing. Uh, a lot of little things and not so little things that made me think that they wanted to get every dollar they could into the bank account to show on September 30th. So it's likely their third quarter report will come out and then they'll show a nice cash balance. The question is, you know, where does that go over the next couple of months? Um, Tesla has not made any moves to raise money. There are some questions as to whether it might be blocked by by some factor. I mean, that, that's sort of the short thesis on Tesla is that they can't raise money for some reason. Perhaps that the SEC told them they had to disclose something that they fear would blow up the stock. You know, we don't know. That's pure speculation. But but it does seem like they they there are some issues between them and a significant cash raise. Honestly, this company would look a lot better with an infusion of about $4 billion right now. Uh, but uh, they have lost a lot of senior talent uh, through attrition or through we don't know what. Um, you know, Elon has, Elon Musk has clearly had, had his issues uh, and, and, you know, got his wrist slapped here by the, the SEC. Uh, as I told my kid, he got sent to the principal's office, basically, the market principal's office. Um, you know, are there more consequences coming? Is there another shoe to drop here? I mean, it's certainly possible that this is just the beginning. We've seen reports that the Justice Department is investigating some things about Tesla. So it's possible that, that you know, there's there, there's another uh, slap on the wrist or worse coming. But again, we don't know that. Uh, what we know is that they, they moved a lot of higher margin loaded Model 3s in the third quarter, uh, which, you know, if they're going to if they're going to show a positive operating margin, uh, that would that would be the way to do it. And we'll see what the we'll see what the third quarter results look like. Um, it is not. I don't know. I, I have trouble with the idea that buying Tesla here is a good idea. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so I know. The, I know the stock has been beaten up. Uh, but you know, this is a dicey moment. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you there. It's hard for me to make a case to buy a Tesla today, but you know, reasonable minds can, can uh, disagree on these mm -hmm. things. And for folks that want to follow, uh, follow the story going forward, where can they follow you on Twitter to, uh, see the latest up to date, up to the moment, uh, Tesla uh, reactions. <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find on Twitter, and I do talk a lot. It's John J O H N two underscores Rosevear, my last name R O S E V E A R. And and you know, if you're looking at at this on fool.com, uh, you can probably find a link to my Twitter uh, right there on the page. Awesome, John. Well, enjoyed it. I'm sure this uh, Tesla story is going to continue to evolve. So let's talk about it uh, sometime in the future. All right. Thanks, Nick. All right. See you, John.